KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Hey, this is Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. Radioactive weeknights at 6, KRCL show for, by, and about grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. Tonight on the show... Dr. David Derizotis of the Peace and Conflict Studies program at the University of Utah is back to walk the radical middle. He's been searching out for a Republican and a Democrat to have a conversation with. And tonight, Representative Kira Berkland, the incumbent in what will be District 4 at the polls this fall, and her Democratic challenger, Chris Campbell. Dr. Dave will walk the radical middle with them and try and find what's going on in polarization in our community, and they've agreed to talk about the issue of abortion. So stick around. Plus, meet the neighbors. We've got KRCL's 909 Day block party and record sale tomorrow here at the station. And we've been meeting the neighbors this week. Tonight, Give Group, which owns a whole bunch of property around us, and in fact, is a benefactor here at KRCL. First, rallies and resources. Tonight at six, that humanities in the wild, prison ecology and new world coming. That's at Swanner Preserve and Eco Center. It's part of the Utah Humanities Book Festival. I've got a link to all of the calendar for the book festival going on now through October. Another one to put on your radar is Hispanic Heritage Parade, The Corn People with Jose and Kelly Carlos on the south stage of the Gateway in downtown Salt Lake, 12.20 p.m. this Saturday. It says, bring your chiquillos for an interactive reading with children's book authors and Aztec dancers, Jose and Kelly Carlos. They will learn about the history of corn and how it binds Latinx and native communities. At two o'clock Saturday over at the box two, it's Corazones with Mauricio Novoa. Corazones is a reading and writing cipher for the Utah Poetry Slam community. Mauricio is poet and author of Memorias from the Beltway. And then seven o'clock Saturday night at Rooster's B Street Brewery in Ogden, it's open mic with Mauricio, whose poems span subjects such as ethnic identity, the economy, migration, hip hop, and familial love. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the book festival and you can track down all of these events. And now it's time to meet the neighbors here in the Guadalupe, the neighborhood where KRCL has set up our new studios on 509 West, 300 North. A lot of the property in this neighborhood has been bought up by Give Group, GIV. And I had a chance to Zoom earlier today with Chris Parker to find out more about their strategy in this neighborhood. Uh, yeah, so my name is Chris Parker. I work with a group called Give. Uh, we do community redevelopment, specifically in areas that uh, haven't had a lot of traction in a lot of years, and then in areas that are overheating. Uh, most recently, we've focused on areas that are rapidly gentrifying, and uh, we we seek to bring a little bit of balance back to it, or at least preserve some of that balance as they go through the change that they're they're experiencing. Full disclosure, you're a big supporter of KRCL and our presence in the Guadalupe neighborhood. I was hoping you could back up and tell us what you see happening in this area here on 5th West between 2nd and 3rd North. Are you going all the way uh, north to 4th? Yeah, you know, we, we do. We have projects on 400 North. I mean, Guadalupe um, historically has been this almost clandestine, remarkably eclectic place of a variety of different backgrounds and incomes. It's one of my favorite places in the city. It's where I live. 
uh, and where Give was actually based out of uh, for the majority of its time in Salt Lake City. Just really, really love this quirky little neighborhood. Um, and it has, over the last two or three years, gone through a radical change. Uh, as little as two years ago, you could buy a home in Guadalupe in the mid-hundred thousands. And that really became the uh, place for people making under $100,000 uh, working on a variety of fields to go ahead and, you know, have that on-ramp to the American dream to buy their first home or their last home or any home in between. Uh, and the community reflected that. It truly was a melting pot of almost every type and personality and background that you could imagine. And unfortunately for everyone except the current homeowners in Guadalupe, <laughs> Um, yeah, I think the median house price here is well above 400 now, uh, and, and that's really your entry level, which has made it so that anyone making less than $100,000 can no longer afford to buy a home here. Uh, Give imagined that might happen about five years ago and picked up uh, several parcels of land and started constructing uh, housing that was attainable for middle-income people, as well as people uh, kind of on the lower middle, and even some people, uh, you know, exiting homelessness, all the way up to uh, market-rate housing that is in our building that, that houses people with quite a bit of dispendable income. The theory was, if we could put some stakes in the ground for this sort of mixed-income dynamic long-term, we could preserve the things that we fell in love with about Guadalupe, which was the sort of just everybody's welcome um, vibe that it had. So over the last few years, uh, you know, Gibbs constructed uh, several hundred of these, you know, soup to nuts, literally every sort of income in buildings, as well as constructed uh, many creative and artistic spaces that we rent uh, very much less than market to preserve the other things that get driven out uh, when gentrification and, and general kind of change in a community happen. So today we've got uh, everything from warehouses to to venues to uh, some upcoming uh, food establishments, uh, all the way to the more traditional kind of housing mitigation efforts that that you might expect in an area like Guadalupe. So you do have an artistic flair that you're trying to uh, foster over here. You've got KRCL, you've got the Odd Star Art Collective, you've got Rise Up School of Dance, and more to come. Why do you think this is a great neighborhood for the arts? You know, I, I think it's such an easy neighborhood to get to geographically. Uh, we, we are on one of, if not the best transit stations uh, in Salt Lake County, maybe even in the, in the whole line. And you have a massive influx of very high-end market rate development. Um, historically, over the last three or four years, we've seen a thousand units directly across the street from us that were the highest rents in the city for a given period of time. And so, you know, definitely you need to put in some some balance from that from a housing perspective, but specifically on a creative perspective, we are losing our homes for creatives um, in almost every part of the city and specifically in this part of the city. And once that's gone, it's gone. It, it, there's there's no one creating, you know, kind of the next band, the next great, you know, garage band album if they don't have a garage that they could exist in. And so we we saw this as a place that naturally could really have um, you know a vibrancy for uh, creative classes of all types. Uh, we were lucky enough to be able to acquire some land on which to do that, and some old buildings on which to do that. And uh, you know, I mean, 
culture and creativity really is what makes life worth living. And I, I, I don't think we're we're seeing as much in a lot of the efforts to go ahead and, and maintain some semblance of, of egalitarianism in our communities to also think about, well, okay, like, what is the soul of Salt Lake? And specifically, where is that going to be preserved? Because it won't naturally happen. Yeah. Well, you're developing new things. You have an eye toward mitigating uh, the effects of gentrification. But like any developer, I am sure, and I've seen the stories of the criticism of what you're making displacing the past. How do you balance that as a developer, as an organization that does nonprofit and for-profit? You know, and, and we're also an organization that, you know, was not an immediately born out of this neighborhood. And, and I think uh, it, it was a very fair, you know, critique that, okay, wait, I mean, you're going to come in here, you're going to do all these things, <laughs> but but you're, you're not of here, you're not from here. I think we try to do the best to preserve um, not necessarily the specific things uh, in the neighborhood or the specific families in a neighborhood, although we do want a place for everyone to go to if they do say get placed because, displaced because their house became unaffordable for them. But we also have tried to focus a lot in Guadalupe, Guadalupe on uh, parcels that did not tear down uh, really vital aspects of that community. So, you know, in Guadalupe, we're not going to go and, and take 20 homes and, and tear them down in order to build some something for a different class of people. We've been lucky to find some of these old warehouses um, and, you know, other community amenities that had been fallow for, you know, the better part of a decade and try to revitalize those. So uh, we have kept ourselves kind of working mostly on areas that, that weren't kicking anything out uh, and really tried to make them landing places for, uh, you know, activities that probably won't be here in 10 years unless there's very specific targeted action on preserving them. All right. So broad strokes, what are we going to see in the next five years in the Guadalupe from Give? From Give, I mean, so sadly, I think what we'll see in Guadalupe is a continuation of of uh, prices getting ever higher. I, I wince. I have a lot of uh, great realtor friends who I love, and many of them have started calling this West Marmalade. And so I do think you'll see the perception of this being the East Side instead of the West Side uh, come to dominate, which as someone who considers where I live the West Side, you know, I mean, that, that's going to take some some learning for me. But I think that barrier used to be State Street 30 years ago, and then it moved to Third West, and then it moved to the train tracks. And guess what? The, the freeway is going to be the barrier in short order. And then I'm sure it'll be Redwood at some point. But uh, that's going to happen. In relief of that, we, we really would like to see um, more activities and spaces and places to live and work and be that anyone from any income could enjoy. And I know that's a very broad thing, um, but we, we'd love to see more places for people to gather at various price points. We'd love to see more places for the generation of the sorts of things that give color to life. And uh, we, you know, we, we'd love to find models where those things can be self-supported, specifically with creatives. Creatives often make these sort of amazing places in our lives 
and then get kicked out immediately after they've done it because they, they outprice themselves. How can you take some of that generation that happens and have those funds return to the artists? So not only are they allowed to stay, but they're allowed to continue to create in the neighborhoods that they build. Uh, so very, very broadly, I think those are our, our large interests. We'd also like to see more food in Guadalupe. So that, that would be a big thing for the next two or three years. How can you create healthy, attainable food that, again, is at our price points where everyone can enjoy them instead of, uh, you know, what happens a lot of times where the, the hip place comes in that, that serves great food. And then it's clearly built for the people that are going to come because of it instead of the people that exist there right now. And that is Chris Parker of Give Group, one of our neighbors here in the Guadalupe. Tomorrow is KRCL's 909 Day block party and record sale. And I had the chance to talk with two of the folks touching all the records this week. Eric P. Nelson is back. Hey, Eric. How's it going? Doing pretty well. You also brought in an expert. Yeah, oh we, we found a new expert. Introduce us. <laughs> um, we've got t- Taylor. I almost said Tyler. That's okay. Taylor, um, we lost our uh, our Tom last <laughs> year. Tom moved back to South Carolina, and he was our record guru. And right when I was, I, I, I need a new person. I'm a Taylor. Taylor sends an email and says, I would like to get involved. And... <laughs> We forced him into it, and, and <laughs> he's been just wonderful. He knows so much, and uh, he's been working on the cream of the crop. Okay, the, the, the top of the top of the crop that will be available at four p.m. here mm-hmm. at the block party and record sale tomorrow, four to eight p.m. at KRCL. Details online at krcl.org. But Taylor, give us a little sampling of the cream of the crop. What do you got on yeah. top? Um, Go ahead and pull those up. Yeah, we'll pull them up here. I pulled out a few things. We already talked about blues. It sounds like a couple days ago, which there's a heavy representation of in our record sale this year. Uh, but likewise with a bunch of Beatles albums. So in front of me, I have a early seventies reissue of help, which is an import, which is kind of cool. Um, this is not the only copy I've seen come through. So that's kind of exciting, but it's in good quality condition, both the art and the vinyl check tonight's show notes for a picture. Yep. What's next? Um, I pulled this out cause it's a favorite record of mine, but it's uh, live evil by miles Davis. It's from his seventies fusion period. So it's a double LP and it's beautiful art, it's original press. Yeah. Original press. And this is in pretty good condition. It's in great shape. Yeah. All right. So that's available at a nice price as well. And a lot of these records are priced below what you'll find them for online, which I think is kind of good too. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this random prog rock band called French lick with their album glider, um, it looks like it was almost like a home pressing, but a very rare record overseas and in the States likewise. Um, so if you're into kind of deep cuts of prog rock, that's pretty exciting. Um, likewise, a bunch of talking heads. We have a original pressing of 77. We have a ton of copies of these too. They're all in great shape. And just so you know, you got on this record, the book I read, Don't Worry About the Government, first week, last week, Carefree Psycho Killer is the one that folks are going right. to recognize mostly from Talking Head 77. Super exciting. And then here we go, the pièce de résistance. <laughs> uh, we have a bunch. Wait a minute. What? Wait. Where is my Black Sabbath sabotage record? How come it's not in... Cl- oh, never mind. <laughs> I took it. You took it. You, like, banned it from these sessions. Yeah. I apologize. Go ahead no, with No, that's okay. What you got there? Um, I have a... Well, two, actually, in this bin. Um, first U.S. pressings, so-called Winchester pressings of Dark Side of the Moon. 
Um, it was the first copy release in the States. We've got two copies that are in really good shape. Um, but if you don't catch those, we have many, many more editions and of versions Pink of Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. It even feels heavy. Yep. It sounds. You know, and just, uh, if seeing Roger Waters tonight was out of your price range, <laughs> come on down to the record sale and, and grab some Pink Floyd on vinyl. Go home and experience uh, that. All right. Totally. So, As Taylor, you you're still going through stuff today. Yeah, a little bit. We're just kind of like organizing things, but I think we're getting there. Yeah. Anything so. else that you've seen that you're just like, you're like, whoa, we well, got that. Yeah, I really, well, I really wanted to emphasize the blues that we've had come in because it's not often you see such a substantial blues collection. So that's going to be really good if you're into blues. Um, likewise, kind of like 80s new wave stuff. There's a ton of that. Um, uh, but it's part of mine. Yeah. <laughs> part of yeah. my collection. <laughs> But uh, Pink Floyd in general, I mean, we have copies of almost their entire discography. Mm -hmm. So, In the meantime, folks can still donate, Eric? Correct. Yeah, we will be at the 909 Block Party tomorrow, but also we'll be at the 9th and 9th Street Festival on the 17th, and then at the Downtown Farmer's Market on the 24th. And we'll be adding new stuff to each of those sales because we're still sitting on crates that we just haven't got to yet. So each of our record sales will have brand new, really good stuff. Yep. Eric Taylor, thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, no problem. We'll see you tomorrow. Eric P. Nelson and Taylor Van Ruckel. You can meet them at the 909 Day Block Party and Record Sale tomorrow, 4 to 8 at KRCL. I'm Laura Jones, and coming up next, we turn over the show to Dr. Dave and the Radical Middle to get us from here to there as Dr. Dave is going to be trying to find common ground between right and left. We've got war. Why can't we be friends on KRCL 90.9? The Utah Division of Services for People with Disabilities helps people with disabilities live their best, most independent life by providing services, such as employment and independent living in their communities. Learn more at dspd.utah.gov. Hey, Gavin Dahl here, KRCL's new executive director, inviting you to come down to KRCL's 909-day block party and record sale Friday, September 9th from 4 to 8 p.m. Do some crate digging through the KRCL record sale, take a spin on an e-bike with Magnum Bikes, screen print a t-shirt with Rock Camp SLC, and check out Radioactive live from our parking lot with Utah band The Zissers. Community partners include Rise Up School of Dance, The Boys and Girls Club, Give Group, Guadalupe School, Odd Star Studios, Spy Hop, Tree Utah, and more. Sponsored in part by Mark Miller Subaru, join us Friday, September 9th from 4 to 8 p.m. here at KRCL 535 West 300 North. Details at krcl.org. Hey, radioactive listeners. This is Shell Yeah with my Rock Camp SLC hat on. One thing we do at Rock Camp is campers create a band logo. And with some Mod Podge screens and some duct tape, we screen print the logos on T-shirts. We will be bringing those skills to KRCL's 909 Day Party tomorrow from 4 to 8 p.m. Bring whatever you want. We'll print KRCL's Electric B on it or snag yourself some available Rock Camp swag and we'll KRCL that up as well. See you there, folks. Oh, shell yeah. That is going to be so cool. Hope to see you all there. I'm Laura Jones. You're listening to Radioactive. And coming up at 7 o'clock tonight, it is Democracy Now!, followed by Thursday Night Psych Out with DJ Mike Walton, The Dirty Boulevard with Gianni at 10.30, and then Rich with I Don't Sound Like Nobody at 1 a.m., Jolene and Illustrated Blues at 3, and John Florence starting off your brand new day for KRCL 909 Day at 6 a.m.
It's time to pass the microphone now for a Radical Middle edition of Radioactive with Dr. David Derizotis. Take it away, Dr. Dave. So welcome to the Radical Middle. I'm Dr. Dave Derizotis from the University of Utah Peace and Conflict Studies program. And um, I am super psyched, Laura, to uh, be today, uh, uh, have a chance to moderate a dialogue with Kara Berkland and Chris Campbell. And um, uh, I'm gonna give both of you a chance to introduce yourselves, because mainly because when people introduce me, I always cringe. And uh, especially if they go on and on saying positive things. So um, uh, how about if um, I ask you first, Chris, would you uh, just say hello, please? And um, tell us what you're doing these days. And I hear you're running for office. Certainly. Hello. I'm excited to be here today for this conversation. Thank you so much for facilitating this. Uh, so my name is Chris Campbell. I'm running for uh, representative in the same district um, that Kara Brooklyn represents right now. We're running against each other. And I'm uh, um, yeah, just I'm a software developer turned uh, researcher. I now have a doctorate in computing at the University of Utah, and I've been getting interested in figuring out how best I can help do my own civic duty by, by participating in our, our democracy. Thanks, Chris, for that introduction. And Kara, it's good to meet you too. And um, I'm hoping that you would also just say hello. I understand you are in office and running again for office. Yes, that's correct. It's so great to be with all of you today. I'm Kara Berkland. I'm the current House Representative of District 53, which will soon in January be District 4. That's the seat that we are uh, running for re-election for, House District 4. I am the wife um, of just about 21 years to a great guy. I have six children. I um, own a couple of companies with my husband and I just have a passion for you know, solving problems happening in our communities. Thanks, Kara. Um, and again, I just want to thank both of you for being willing to do this. Something Laura and I have for years um, been working on is, um, you know, inviting people to the station in, in this program we call the Radical Middle, you know, asking people to have conversations that were more dialogue than debate, you know, where the two most important things were to, uh, speak respectfully to each other and uh, listen for understanding. And, you know, I understand that um, the two of you have uh, been having conversations already that, uh, that were uh, dialogues. And I want to get into that in a minute and find out why you're both interested in that. Uh, but first, Kara, could you tell us what you were doing? And I'm assuming it probably had something to do with these businesses, but before, how long have you been in office and before you, uh, uh, became a representative, what were you doing in life? Probably partly being a mom from what you just said. <laughs> right. So I, uh, my background is in a lot of different things. I owned prior to getting involved in office. I've been in office since 2020, April of 2020. Um, and prior to that, I owned and operated a child care center, state licensed child care center. Um, that was 
something I did for about a decade, preschool, childcare, dance lessons, tumbling, art lessons, anything, anything you could name. I just wanted kids to have a safe place to be. And then when they left and got picked up by their parents after a long days of work, their homework, their chores, their, you know, anything that they could, you know, class-wise to better themselves were already accomplished. So that's something I did for quite some time. I've also been involved in the Utah Republican Party. I started out as just someone fascinated with the process of politics and the things that were going on. So I became a state delegate and, you know, about six, seven years later, um, advanced up in the party to the state party vice chair you know, working with candidates and people that I felt like believed in a lot of the same principles that I believed in. Yeah, thanks for that explanation. How, how about for you, Chris? Like, um, I know that, uh, you know, you're running for office, but can you, can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, uh, what you've been doing leading up to that? You already mentioned uh, something to do with computers. Um, and uh, also, like, why did you decide like Kara was just talking about, why did you decide to um, run for office now? Uh, great question. So, you know, I've got a background in computing and also in mathematics, and I'm very much interested in, in problem solving and finding solutions to things. And I think that's um, part of what has led to my interest to get into to politics. For, for a long time, I would... Um, watch the legislature from the sidelines and kind of maybe even cringe and hide for a while, worried about how much damage was going to be done each session. And I would be, get frustrated by that. I would complain to people around me. Um, and I eventually got to a point where I realized uh, that that wasn't really a healthy way to, to approach things for myself, that I had a couple options. I could either continue to do that. I could find a way to to let go of my frustration and just come to terms with things as they are, or I could um, step up and start taking some actions to help improve the state of politics in Utah. And one of the ways that I did that was I got involved in the tax referendum effort in 2019. I started to gather some signatures uh, in Summit County. My daughters uh, helped me. It was really interesting to, to also model to them how to participate uh, in in politics and civic engagement and things like that. But I found the process to be really, really inspiring and it gave me a lot of hope where I'd been maybe a little bit more cynical before. I saw people coming together across uh, political lines. I saw people coming together from all different socioeconomic status. I saw people coming rural and urban, all working together to help each other uh, achieve a fair policy, you know, fair tax policy. And that was really, is that really hope giving, um, you know, and I found something similar by participating in the redistricting effort. Last year, I watched how the independent redistricting commission worked with people and was gathering hundreds of comments from all sorts of different people and, and really engaging with wrestling. How do we best come up with districts that fairly represent people? And to me, that also was a very uh, inspirational view of, what a collaborative uh, democratic process could look like. Um, and so I'm really focused on positive involvement and am trying to find ways to continue to take positive actions to improve things. Thanks, Chris. And um, Kara, um, you know, no matter where I go, and I'm, I'm at the U a lot, but I'm also out in the community doing things. If I ask folks, and it doesn't matter whether they're 16 or 60, 
you know, like what do they think about what's going on in the world? Almost always people say that they're disgusted with a polarization. That's the word they usually use that we see in politics, you know, and, um, and probably just about everywhere else. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about why you choose to have these kinds of conversations with your opponent, Chris, rather than, you know, um, participate in what people are calling polarization, which basically it seems is uh, being nasty to each other and, you know, not treating each other with respect. Um, it seems really different. It seems that many people are hungry for leaders that are willing to do that. So what, what has made you interested? You told us a little bit about, you know, your background and your interest in Republican values and so forth. But um, how about your interest in dialogue? So, uh, you know, my husband and I, we've been married 21 years. And I found that, uh, almost 21 years, I found that, that we often want the same thing. We just don't always communicate it the same way. Or um, when I was a foster parent, particularly, I became a peer parent for the state of Utah. And um, I, I learned that a lot of times we set out for the same goal to strengthen families, but our way about doing it is just different. And when we understand that the other person wants the same goal as we do, but their process to achieve it is just different, then there's there's not so much fear. There's not so much frustration. It's, it's more of an understanding, okay, we all want the same things. We just believe a different pathway gets us to that. And I think when the people start communicating uh, and hearing from each other, there's a lot less fear. And anything that we can do, I feel like in, in society right now, to settle the fear and, and talk more about the issues and, and be kind and compassionate, but logical, the better we serve uh, all of the state and the nation. Yeah, I, I have similar observations, you know, having one of the things that academics dread the most is being chairs of committees. And I would say that, you know, until I learned that, that's that same thing you're talking about, that most folks have the same goals, but have different beliefs about how to get there. Um, uh, that really made a difference, you know, in, in being a leader. And uh, Chris, do you have anything that you would uh, add or say about that same question? Um, why, why are you interested in uh, having dialogues with your, uh, your opponent? You know, in this era of polarization where so many folks are perceived as being really nasty to each other. Mm -hmm. Well, so it's, it's really interesting. Uh, Carol was hosting a town hall in um, I think it was March or February time kind of escapes me these days. And we, were, we got to talking afterwards and she said, you know, you've got a lot of really good ideas and we're not really as far apart as maybe people think we are and asked if I was interested in running. And to me, that was a really interesting way to start a campaign and race was not so much about how can I compete, but was, can we have an opportunity here to demonstrate to people that we really do have uh, a lot of the same common goals and a lot of similar ideas and a lot of similar objectives and and to focus on those places that we have in common instead of spending all of our focus on on our differences. And what I'm learning as I'm campaigning, it can be tricky, right? There's pressure. People want to know, well, what makes you different from Representative Berkland? And so I think sometimes those questions asked from a more innocent perspective are the thing that start that division because we start to focus on what our differences are. And I think it's um, important to come back and reflect on, you know, we have a lot of similarities. One of the similarities is we're trying to represent the same district. And so regardless of who, which of us is representing that district, that district has the same needs. So a lot of the 
you know, solutions that are going to be good for the district are going to be good for the district, regardless of which one of us is the one representing. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind as well, that, that, that focus on, on our district needs. Yeah, that makes sense. How, how I want to ask you both, as you notice, I'm asking you both the same questions. Um, uh, Chris, how did we get in this mess from your perspective where so many of our leaders um, don't believe what you and Kara just said, you know, that uh, feel that the best way to get elected is to, you know, just say lots of negative things about your opponent or to, you know, uh, even give uh, disinformation about them, you know, in order to get elected. Um, why, why is this prevalent today? You know, I asked a historian that a uh, couple months ago at a dialogue, you know, is this something that we've seen before in the country? And, and she said, um, from time to time, we've been in periods of polarization, and then it seemed like that lessened. But what's your sense of that? Why, why is that going on today? Right. Well, you know, I think some things like um, social media and some of those things help to contribute to this particular flavor of, of polarization that we're seeing now. Um, and I think the pandemic situation where we were a little bit more isolated than usual also contributed to that. I, for me, um, part of the challenge is we get into bubbles where we're talking with people who have the same ideas. And when we're not interacting with people who have different ideas, we can start to other them and we can see them. To me, that othering starts down the path of dehumanization, which can lead to, you know, to a lot of bad issues that we've seen over the years in various countries, right? And so I think um, the where that leads to here, where what really frustrates me about the state of polarization right now is that there will be people who will see a D for Democrat by my name and just immediately tune me out as if I have no good ideas because of the, the party I've chosen to affiliate with, right? Or the same thing I'm sure can happen right, to right. Representative Brickland as well. If they see an R, they might immediately tune that out. And I think just because we you know, have maybe different um, political affiliations or, or value systems or things like that doesn't mean that, we, that people on, on both sides and or people who are unaffiliated or people who are libertarian there's good ideas across the spectrum. People have good ideas across the spectrum. And I think our best ideas and our best solutions come when we take those good ideas from those various perspectives and we put them together and make something that, that really works for people across the spectrum. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And, and Kara, I imagine you probably have had that experience just as Chris has had that when people see the R after your name, some will love you and have all these biases about why you're wonderful, others will demonize you, you know, even before they uh, meet you. Has that happened? Oh, uh, yeah. It's, oh, you're a Republican. I can't stand what your party's done. I used to be a Republican, but then you elected so-and-so, and now I can't support you. And you're like, well, please, you know, I'm all for being judged for my actions, for my, my stance, my positions, and not for that of others. Uh, I think I think everybody wants that same thing, but I think also we have a lot of uh, there's a lot of fear, and fear sells, and that's why I think fear we see so many people using these these tactics of oh my opponent will do this 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 this, and they believe in this 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 because that make puts fear into people, and people are more likely to show up to vote 
if they feel like they're scared, like I have to, this is, I'm powerless if I don't do something. And that need for the fear is what I feel like is, is feeding a lot of uh, the division and the polarization and, and people will use fear sometimes to keep their own power as they see it as power. Is, is, are we afraid of the things that are, you know, that we hear in the news all the time? Is that what scares us the most? The pandemic, the Ukraine war, the, you know, climate change, fires and floods. Is that what we're scared of or is there something else do you think here? I've, I've noticed a lot of people are, are, after COVID, they're afraid of um, losing their freedoms. They're afraid of losing, you know, let's be honest, they're, you know, the taxes right now, they're just, they can't afford some of these tax rates that we've seen um, throughout the state and the nation. They're concerned about gas prices. How are they going to keep food on the table for their family? And you'll see a lot of that rhetoric and a lot of the campaigns nationwide, where it's, you know, you're not going to be able to provide for your family. And nobody, Democrat, Republican, wants to feel that sense of fear that I've lost the ability to provide for my family. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. you're not going to be able to, um, you know, go to work or go do this and that. And also, of course, you know, we don't want a war. Yes, absolutely. There's, there's fear for the wars. Um, but I think I've seen more is a personal fear of you will become enslaved to a government. You will become enslaved to paying these taxes. You will be enslaved, you know, to whatever these ideas and nobody across the political spectrum wants to have that feeling. And so you'll see both sides using that a lot. Yeah. So uh, today we, we, we've talked about uh, tackling for a few minutes, you know, one of the most controversial issues there are, you know, which is abortion. And um, you've both agreed to, you know, to talk a little bit about that. And maybe I could ask you to start, Kira, um, you know, um, as we turn the corner into that topic and maybe start by, um, uh, could you tell us your position on, on abortion? And, um, and then I'll ask uh, Chris for the same, and then we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll see if uh, we can find some kind of uh, common ground or, or, or radical middle, as we call it sometimes on KRCL, uh, that's possible between the two of you. So Carrie, do you want to start? Bet. So for me, I, I am pro-life. I am I'm for life in every way. Um, but I'm also for support. Um, you know, we, we have been foster parents because I understand that there are those who who have children who weren't prepared. And so we can step in as a society and help those parents and those families. And I, I believe we need to do more to help and support women who are going through the childbirth experience, who are concerned. And scared always if the life of the mother is at risk we should be able to save that woman's life um absolutely like that's unequivocally my stance is the life of the mother should be a you know an exception otherwise i do believe that we need to value the life of everybody um, even the pre-born you, you know in the dialogue class i teach at the at the u over the years we almost always uh, tackle abortion and invite in um uh, you know, folks to discuss it with the students, and uh, you know, often they will, they will, uh, when they talk about abortion, they'll say, you know, after a certain period of time, then I'm against it. You know, how would, um, how do you look at that? Do, are you against abortion at any time during the pregnancy, or after a certain period of time? Where are you at about that? 
So for me, um, this is a question I get a lot. They want to know, you know, about uh, the morning after pill. I think we should make the morning after a pill accessible. Now it's available on Amazon. It's available at most pharmacies um, over the counter, but, but I don't think there's a lot of education that the morning after pill is not an abortion pill. The morning after pill is a great tool that, that, that many women should be knowledgeable and educated on to use. However, once there's fertilization, once there is, is stirring within the womb, I believe there's life. And I believe that's when the life needs to be protected. Okay, thanks. So let, let's see what Chris says next, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into the dialogue more. So Chris, what's your position on abortion? Uh, thanks. I, I really appreciate uh, your willingness to facilitate this and Kara, your willingness to really dive into these conversations, because I think um, you know, to your point about fear, it can be scary to get into a topic like this that's so emotional, that people care so strongly about from whatever perspective that they come from. And come to realize that people get to their, there's a, a variety of nuanced perspectives and people get to those perspectives um, through through deep, contempla deep contemplation and caring. And so I really, uh, really just want to acknowledge and respect um, that for, for people. For me, you know, people who are contemplating abortion they're, they're doing their best to make a complicated decision. They're looking at, at the, their current family. They're looking at potential future family. They're looking at the, the health of themselves, the health of their, their existing kids. They're looking at uh, whether they can provide for any kids that would come in the future. They're looking for, you know, um, how can they provide for the health of the developing fetus? They consider whether they've got financial and emotional and physical ability to bring a pregnancy to term, um, let alone support afterwards. And they also contemplate things like the state of our foster care system and adoption system. And, and can somebody, you know, when we bring somebody into this world, can we support them and give them a life where they can thrive and do well? And so this is a really complicated, nuanced decision that people are making. And I think it's important to understand that I trust that the people who are facing this decision will consult with their physicians, with their faith leaders, and with their families to make the best possible decision for themselves in what are you know, unique circumstances. So I'm really in favor of supporting whatever we can do to help them through that decision-making process. And I'm also interested in what can we do. You know, one of the things that I realized um, it was only a couple of years ago that I started to look into the numbers of how many abortions take place, right? And I understand there's a lot and a lot of abortions that happen every year. And I hadn't realized how many until I looked at the numbers. And, and I understand why that's really upsetting to people. That's, you know, and, and that people are really motivated to reduce the number of abortions. And I want to say I agree with that. I am interested as well in how do we reduce the number of abortions that are happening. And, um, and I'm hoping that this is where we can start to find some of the common ground is looking at, you know, I'm a big believer in, in prevention. How do we avoid getting into the position where we need to make these kinds of challenging uh, decisions in the first place? What can we do to support people? Um, what can we do to change the financial calculations or the emotional calculations that people are making? Um, what, what resources can we provide to people um, from the beginning to help uh, reduce the number of times that we even have to consider this decision. We as a you know we as a society. So, thanks, Chris. And just to reset, I'm Dr. Dave, and you're listening 
to a radical middle edition of Radioactive on KRCL. My guests this evening are Chris Campbell and Kara Brooklyn, and we're taking this rare opportunity to find common ground amongst two political competitors in District 4. So um, maybe should we talk about numbers just for a second since you brought it up? What are, do either of you um, want to uh, tell us about you know, how, how, about how many abortions happen a year in Utah? What do we know? Um, I'm not sure I know the exact numbers in Utah right now. I know that, that one of the numbers that gets tossed around, Carrie, you can correct me if I'm, if I'm getting this wrong, but is on the order of, you know, the, the number that people like to use is on the order of 30 million since Roe v. Wade, for instance. Oh, I see, um, in, what, in the yeah. U.S.? In the U.S., right. And so in Utah, I don't know what that number looks like. I do know that that number has generally gone down over the past decades as well. So I think it's also, you know, important to consider those trends and to, and to look at that information. You know, as we start to get into what's effective in reducing the number of abortions, I think it's important to pay attention to, you know, uh, which policies actually change the number versus which ones we just think will change the number, but but may actually increase instead of decrease. Yeah, makes sense. Kara, do you have any ideas about why there's been a trend of less abortions in our country over the last 10 years? Because like Chris is saying, maybe that would give us some ideas about prevention. Yeah, why, thank what, you. Yes. In, in my research, and, and this is a topic I, I, I do care deeply about for a, a variety of reasons, having given birth to four kids and being involved in the foster care system, also, when I was pregnant with my last child, uh, the doctor did did recommend that I abort for, for my own health and safety. Um, and so it's something that's really, since I was a small child, it's something that I'm really passionate about um, for a variety of reasons. And so I estimate roughly around a thousand a year here in our state. And that is, the number goes down as I look into this more is because there are more and more clinics that will prescribe medication to a woman to have an abortion. And when there's complications, they'll come in and they will basically regard it as a miscarriage because they don't disclose that they went to a clinic and they had, you know, saw an abortion pill. They just go in and say, you know, I've had this heavy bleeding. I've got a lot of cramping, a lot of pain. I'm, I'm really concerned. And, and it's written off quite often, unfortunately, um, in our state and in many states in America as just miscarriages. Um, it's, it's a concern I have a lot with some of the practices we do with abortions. Um, I am, I'm not pro-choice. However, I am pro-information for women and, and where they can have abortions, I want them to be safe. And I feel that sometimes we are giving them tools to use without the proper education to use them and it's putting them in harm's way and it's sending them to the ERs and places like that with excessive damage and bleeding and, and pain and suffering that would be unnecessary uh, if we could work together on this issue and provide more support and, and opportunities for these women and, and education to them and so that's a huge concern to me I think I share that with Chris is just we need better information to go to women, true information that empowers them to make the best choices um, and keeps them healthy and alive. And if we can also save babies while doing it, that's that's my hope, that's my goal. Thanks, Kara. Um, I, 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 Laura just uh, uh, texted me that um, uh, one researcher uh, 
has found that in Utah, the number of abortions in 1990 was uh, 4,796. In 2019, it dropped to 2,922. And in that same year, uh, in this, uh, they found that 61.8% of abortions performed in Utah were due to social economic reasons. Um, so that's just some information for our listeners. So in these last few minutes, Let's just have a conversation about what would be a compromise position that possibly the two of you could agree on. And I'm imagining you may have talked about this before, so we could jump ahead to that idea. But do either of you want to start that conversation? Yeah, I'd like to to talk a little bit about, to build on what uh, Carol was saying about education, right? I think, again, because these are complicated decisions that people are making, I find that I make better decisions, the, the better quality information that I have. So how can we get good quality information? Not just at the time of the decision about whether to have an abortion, but earlier on the decision about whether to use contraception, which kinds of contraceptions are effective. How can we get better information to kids? You know, We know that kids like to test boundaries and test limits, right? And and so when it comes to things like, um, you know, sex and what their limits are and, and whether things could get pregnant, kids are going to push those boundaries, um, especially when they don't have good information about what the real risks are. So helping kids to understand, you know, scientifically, biologically, how does pregnancy happen? What, what is, you know, which behaviors um, are risky for them to take? so that they can make better decisions to avoid uh, those situations in the first place that they might've thought were not a problem because you know, what I've learned with my kids is um, they listen to their friends for a lot of information. And if their friends don't have good information, yeah. the, you know, yeah. even if I've given them good information, if their friends are not giving them good information that, that can still yeah. sway them. So the yeah. more kids, the more, uh, kids know, and the higher number of kids who have good information are sharing that with each other, the better we can all support each other in avoiding uh, situations of um, unplanned, unwanted pregnancies at, at a young age. So that's part of it. Another piece that I'd be interested to talk about is the is the idea of uh, contraception and making easy, uh, fair access to contraception. Because one of the things that we know is is when families can plan their timing for kids and their spacing and they can do it um, once they've you know established a house or established uh, you know or married or you know have established a family then the then the chance of that family doing better both economically and uh, financially and also physically and with their health and their mental well-being the better they can plan that the more well off that entire family will be so how can we do things like provide uh, contraception. You talked also about socioeconomic, right? What can we do to provide support for families so that they're in a good enough uh, financial situation that they don't have to worry about whether they can afford to support the kid? Because one of the things we know is is large number of abortions um, take place in families that already have kids. So these are people that that want kids but are and have kids and want to do the best they can to take care of the kids they already have and and are concerned sometimes that bringing another kid into that situation is going to do harm to everybody in the family right and so it's not just 
always a question about one particular life. Sometimes it's a question about all these lives. So how do we provide the financial, emotional, and social support um, to families across the board? So I'd, I'd love to hear okay. uh, Kara's ideas on ways that we can do that. Me, me too. Thanks, Chris. So uh, uh, Chris uh, offered two possible uh, preventive strategies. One is I, I kind of hesitate to use the term sex ed because I think that's one of those things, Kara, that people, they hear that they either say, that's great or that's terrible. You know, um, so maybe we don't use that phrase because it activates some of us as well as contraception access. What do you think about those two ideas? Well, I, I, you know, I, I respect completely where Chris is coming from. I think as, as he pointed out, the vast majority of abortions are, are, are happening in families where there's husband, wives, children, you know, or, or partnerships with other children. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's as much about sex ed right out the gate as it is about providing resources. You know, if, if somebody winds up pregnant uh, and they and their partner weren't planning on that, weren't wanting that, and, and they have children, as, as Chris, you know, kind of alluded to, you know, these types of scenarios happening, at, you know, by and large being the reason for a lot of the uh, abortions in our state, then what I would love to do and I would be a wholeheartedly reach across the aisle and work with anyone and everyone to give women hope that you may have a, a, you know, a pregnancy happening right now, but that doesn't have to stop your life. It doesn't have to end your life. There are, you know, growing up, I was told I would never have children. I had a medical condition. The doctor said that I would just never have children. So adoption is, is so important to me. Um, we've adopted, you know, some of our children and I was blessed to be able to have some children, but I feel like we have avenues out there that we haven't fully utilized. Our adoption system does need some help and support. Um, our, our you know, foster care system, absolutely. There's some great overhaul that I would like to see happening in our, in our foster care um, system currently. Um, resources and, and supporting organizations that provide resources to these women so that they don't feel like the choice is between taking care of the children that they already have and being able to afford the life that they currently have and ending the life of their preborn child. I don't wanna put women in those situations. Um, and so I feel like if we could come together and create some sort of, or bolster a foundation or an organization and make sure that people really know, I, there's a group uh, heartbeat out of my, in Miami and they called, I forget all the, the different names of, of these organizations, but essentially it's a national organization called Heartbeat, and they have Heartbeat of Miami, Heartbeat of St. Louis, Heartbeat, and then they have other names with you know under that umbrella. And when women come in seeking the abortion, yes, they can have abortions in many of these states, and and that's the route they choose. That's the right that they choose. But a lot of times, the women have come forward and have said, like, I just need help. I just need support. I just need to know that I'm not going to be a terrible mother one way or the other. That I'm. I think we heard missing out on an opportunity to really educate women on, on the value that they have and their abilities. That having another child and putting it up for adoption doesn't make them less of a good mother. Having another child and keeping that child and now having more children than they wanted doesn't make them less of a woman. Whatever choice they choose, let's support them financially, emotionally, mentally, physically. We can expand our, our Medicaid for women you know, who have, you know, are pregnant and, and extend Medicaid opportunities for these women post-pregnancy. There's so many things I think that, you know, Republicans, conservatives, and Democrats 
can get on board with when it means at the end of the day, saving a life that, that perhaps expands government, which isn't necessarily a conservative value, but it saves a life and it emboldens a woman. And I think we can all get behind that. Yeah. I love what you're saying. I love what you're both saying. And so, uh, you know, Carrie, your emphasis uh, in our conversation about, um, I like how you said at the beginning that you're pro-life and pro-support. And it seems like one of the uh, pathways to the radical middle for both of you has been around, uh, you agree on some principles of prevention. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we're already out of our 40 minutes. And so I just want to thank uh, both Chris Campbell and Kara Brooklyn for uh, taking, we'll say, taking a walk to the radical middle with us this evening. Uh, best of luck to both of you in, at the polls. Uh, and again, I'm Dr. Dave uh, for the radical middle and I'm sending it back to Laura Jones. Thanks, Dr. Dave. And that's our show. Thanks to all of our guests this hour and you for plugging into your community with Radioactive. Hope to see you tomorrow night here at KRCL for 909 Day Block Party and Record Sale at 509 West, 300 North. We'll be doing the show out in the parking lot. Live band, the Zizus will be joining us. They're going to stick around and play another set after the show. Oh, Rock Camp is going to be here with a screen print set up. Bring a t-shirt, a dish towel, an old jacket. They'll screen print the KRCL B onto it for you. It's going to be a good time. More details at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. KRCL, Salt Lake City.